I'm Malini, and I'll, I'll be doing the second reading, which is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. The parable of the talents. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the word of God. Uh, thanks, Millennium. Uh, thanks, Jenny. And thanks also, uh, Ian, for your kids' talk. Unfortunately, I don't have any hats for my sermon, but I enjoyed watching the uh, switch back and forwards. Uh, well, today we're continuing our series, Stories with Purpose, and we're continuing to think about some of the parables of Jesus and what these earthly stories tell us about heavenly truths. And so as you've heard, today we've got uh, the parable of the talents. Uh, but as we begin, I'm going to come before God in prayer, so please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for what your word reveals about who you are. We thank you that it shows us that you are so gracious and so generous. And so today, as we consider this parable, uh, please be comforting us with that truth. Help us to realize how gracious and generous you are and help us to live accordingly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, some people collect the weirdest things some people invest their time and their energy in the weirdest things. Uh, this week, as I was uh, preparing the sermon, I wanted to see what were some of the different things that people invest in 
And so I Googled uh, world's weirdest collections, and I'll share with you, there were plenty of uh, interesting results. I'll share with you some of the, um, some of the results. Uh, the first one was this. Uh, this is the world's largest collection of Coca-Cola cans. So this guy has 10,558 Coca-Cola cans, uh, which is a pretty good effort. I reckon maybe I could have had him beat if I'd kept all of the uh, soft drink cans and bottles I've had in my life, but it's still pretty good. But what was particularly impressive about this collection is that he's got cans from 87 different countries around the world. And imagine the amount of effort and time that went into collecting all 10,558 cans from 87 different countries. So I found that one was uh, pretty good. But then there was also uh, Graham Baker, who has the world's largest collection of belly button fluff. That's what you see there in those jars. He's got 22.1 grams of his own belly button fluff. I mean, what a thing to invest your life in, collecting your belly button fluff and storing it away, then weighing it to see that you've got the biggest collection in the world. So I found that quite amusing. And there were plenty of other weird ones, but none of them take the cake. None of them beat uh, this lady that I saw in the documentary a few years ago. And do you know what she invests her life in? Giant bugs that she then dresses up as movie characters. So here's some of them uh, dressed up from the, uh, as characters from the movie Jurassic Park. And it's just such a weird thing. She collects these bugs and then she hand makes little costumes for them and turns them into movie characters. But perhaps the most amusing thing, the th thing I found funniest about this lady uh, was that her boyfriend hates bugs. And so her whole house is covered with bugs, and yet her boyfriend has this fear of bugs and just hates bugs, and so he's got to deal with this all the time. Just found it uh, so amusing. But she's so obsessed with these bugs. And so she spends all of her money on collecting different uh, items to sew into costumes. She spends hours and hours every day making these costumes. It's such a weird thing to invest in. That's what her life is invested in. And while uh, some people invest their lives in all sorts of weird things, the reality is that we all actually invest our lives in something. We all put our time and our energy and our money into something. It might not be quite as strange as collecting belly button fluff or Coca-Cola cans, though who knows, some of us here might have secret weird collections. But still, we invest in something. For example, some of us might be investing in our career. We're always doing overtime. For us, our job isn't a job, it's a life. And that's what we invest in. Others might be investing in our studies. We get private tutors. We always use any spare moment we have to study. We want to get good marks, and so that's what we're investing our time and our energy into. Some of us might be investing in our family. We do everything we can for them. All of our money goes to them. All of the spare time we have, we spend with them. Even when we're not with them, we're thinking about them. That's what we're invested in, because we love them. Or maybe we invest in ourselves. We spend all of our money on things that make us happy. We always treat ourselves to whatever we desire, because we want to be happy. That's what we're invested in. Or maybe it's something else, but the reality is that every single person invests in something. Each and every one of us invests our time and our energy 
and our money into something. And in one sense, there's nothing wrong with that. The reality is we're always going to invest in something. We have to invest in something. But the question, though, is what should we invest in? Because we have to choose. We have a finite amount of resources, a finite amount of time, a finite amount of money, a finite amount of emotional energy. And so we have to choose what we're going to invest in. And obviously, some things are better to invest in than others. It's much better to invest in family and friends than it is to invest in collecting belly button fluff. And so what should we invest in then? Well, today we're going to consider that question and we're going to see two examples. We're going to see the two who invested well and we're going to see the one who didn't invest well. And as we look at them and as we look at how they invested, we'll see that there's one thing we must invest in. As good as all of those other options might be, this one is crucial. Why? Because this investment doesn't just have consequences for the, uh, doesn't just have consequences for here and now. It also has consequences for eternity, for all of eternity. And so that's what we're thinking about today. And as we look at our parable, and as it starts, we first see the two who invested well. Now, in our parable, our story with a purpose, there's a Lord, and he's obviously pretty wealthy, because as he goes away, he, invests, he gives money to some of his workers, and he gives a huge amount of money. Have a look at verses 14 and 15. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. And so uh, some translations might say here, a bag of gold. Uh, the actual word is talentum, so it uh, means ta it's, translates as talents. And a talent was a specific weight, a specific amount of gold. Uh, one talent was worth 6,000 denarii. Uh, a denarii was a typical day's wage which means one talent was 6,000 days of work. Uh, for our Australian context, if you were to work one day on the minimum wage, you'd earn loosely $160, which means that 160 times 6,000 means one talent in our context was loosely $960,000. And so it's a lot of money. But did you see, he doesn't just give them one. Did you see how many he gives? To one servant, he gives five talents, which means he gives him about $4.8 million. And to the other servant, he gives two talents, which means he gives him loosely $1.9 million. And there's a third servant who he gives one talent, but we'll think about him in a bit. But these first two servants, they're given an extraordinary amount of money, and they invest it well. Did you see that as the story continues? These are faithful servants. Have a look at verses 16 and 17. The man who had received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. See, they put the money to work. They get out there and they start investing and it pays off because the first one turns five into 10. He turns his $4.8 million into $9.6 million. 
And the second one is just as faithful, though he's got a smaller amount to begin with. He turns his two into four. He turns his $1.9 million into $3.8 million. Both take the money and they invest it. Why? Well, because they've understood. It's not actually their money. The Lord has so graciously given it to them for a purpose. He's given it to them to put it to work, to invest that money, to invest it in the building of the Lord's kingdom. It would be a little bit like this. Imagine if a boss went away, and while he's gone, he entrusts his business to one of his employees. I mean, in that situation, what does the employee do? Well, of course he tries to run the business well. Of course he tries to increase profits. Of course he wants things to go well. A faithful employee will realize that. He'll know the business isn't somewhere for him to live and get free accommodation. It's not a place for him to use to host parties. The point isn't for him to gut the company, sell all the other assets and pocket the money. No, of course not. The whole purpose of the boss entrusting the business to him is for him to help the business to grow, to flourish. See, the employer understa- employee understands that the boss's generosity has a purpose. And so he faithfully sets out to put that, uh, to work hard and grow the business for the sake of the owner. And when the, employ- when the owner returns, the employee has grown the business. Our sales have multiplied and profits are up. The stock price has soared. Business is booming. See, that's a good and a faithful servant. He's doing what he's meant to do. And isn't that the type of person that we want to be? Servants who do what our Lord wants us to, who are faithful with what's been given to us. Because just like the servants in the parable, we've been given so much. We're the recipients of God's grace. Of course, we have, we're the recipients of salvation. God's given us the most important thing, his son, Jesus, to come and live and die in our place so that we might be saved. But he's also given us so much more than that. The relationships, the gifts, the opportunities we have are all from God. Our money, our personality, it's all from God. And God gives it to us for a purpose, for the multiplying of his kingdom. God wants us to invest what he's given us to grow his kingdom. See, that's the whole point of having them. And when we realize that, then it'll help us to put them to use, to invest what God's given us. See, that's the investment we must make. And when we faithfully invest that, what we see as the parable continues is how God responds. See, God sees that and he's thankful. We see the Lord sees the faithfulness and he praises them. Did you see that? Have a look at verse 21. The servant shows the Lord what he's done and this is how the Lord replies. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. When the Lord sees the faithfulness of the servants, he's understandably pleased. And what we notice from his response are two different things. Uh, The first thing we notice is the reward that the Lord gives them. Did you notice what the reward is? The reward isn't to sit back on the master's yacht. It's not to retire early and to travel the world at the master's expense. 
It's not to take a rest and enjoy life off now. Well-earned, a well-earned break. No, the reward is to keep working. In a sense, the Christian faith is a faith where we roll up our sleeves and get our hands dirty. See, the Lord says, well done, you've been faithful with a little, so now I'll give you more. And we see this in our lives all the time. In a workplace, if you do a good job with a client, then you're more likely by your boss to be given a bigger client, a more important client. When you show yourself to be faithful with a little, you're given more responsibility, and that's what the Lord is like. This is the way of God's kingdom. We're not passive. God has entrusted us with skills and with gifts, with talents, for the purpose of investing to build his kingdom. And when we do that, how does he reward us? With more work, with more privilege, which is one of the best things that God could do for us. Because as humans, we're made to give honor and glory to God. That's our chief purpose. And so when we are, we're like a fish in water. We're in our natural environment. And so God's reward is to let us do what we were made to do. He gives us the privilege of working to bring honor and glory to his name. We get the privilege of sharing the hope we have as Christians. We get the privilege of telling people just how great God is. We get the privilege of telling people that God has sent his son Jesus to die in their place so that they might be saved. And we get the privilege of using all that we have, all that we are, to build God's kingdom. See, we get the privilege privilege of investing in the kingdom that lasts. And that's why it's far better than investing in Coca-Cola cans or belly fluff. It's even better than investing in family or work or happiness. Because this is investing in the true kingdom, the only kingdom that lasts. See, that's the privilege we're given. When we invest well, then God gives us more opportunities to keep investing. And that's the first thing we notice about the Lord's response, is the reward he gives. But the second thing we notice is the way he treats the two servants. He treats them equally. The first servant made the Lord more money. Uh, he made the Lord $9.6 million compared to the second servant's $3.8 million, uh, which is an extra $5.8 million. And now, of course, they both doubled their original money. But the first servant quantitatively made the Lord more money. And so we might expect that the Lord would be happy with both, but maybe a little bit happier with the first servant. But did you see the Lord's response? Uh, This is what he says to the first servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. That's what he says to the first servant. And this is what he says to the second servant. Did you see the difference there? It's a trick question, there is no difference. He says exactly the same thing. The words are word for word exactly the same. And see, what we notice is that to God, it's not about quantitative numbers. What's important to God is faithfulness. That's what matters to God. And when we're faithful with what God's given us, then he is equally pleased, equally pleased with the five-talent man as he is with the two-talent man. And what that does is removes off any kind of temptation there might be for envy. 
Because we might be tempted to look at someone who we see as a five-talent person, and we see ourselves as a two-talent person, and we might wish that we were a little bit like them. But what, what we see with God's response is it takes away that temptation. I was reminded about that when I was reading of a guy called uh, Steve Besner this week. Uh, so Steve tells the story of how uh, when he was studying at college, studying to be a minister, uh, he was, in, the, in a sense, a kind of emerging star in that he had good grades, uh, everyone thought well of him, he was involved in a large and healthy college Christian ministry. But what happened was that a new guy moved on campus. And this new guy started capturing the attention and imagination of everyone else, everyone there on campus. Uh, this new guy's name was Matt Chandler. And who's, he's now quite a famous Christian minister. And when Matt moved in, suddenly everything he did in God's kindness turned to gold. The ministry flourished and Matt was invited to speak at all these big conferences. And do you know what Steve found? He found that creeping voice of envy start whispering in his ear. The insidious enemy, jealousy, start seeping into his heart. He found that he couldn't help but compare himself to Matt. To look at Matt, a five-talent guy, and wish that he, a two-talent guy, was like Matt. He realized that, that Matt was someone God had blessed so richly. But eventually, God in his kindness helped Steve to see the truth of this passage. That in God's eyes, it doesn't matter if you're a two-talent person, or a five-talent person, or a 500-talent person. God is equally pleased with every single one of us, as long as we're faithfully investing what God's given us. And what that does is takes away that envy. It takes away jealousy, because we don't look at others and wish we were like them. Instead, we look at them and we thank God for what he's given them and we faithfully work with what he's given us because that's all that matters to God is that we're faithful with what he's given us. And so that's the two who invested well and they're meant to be a shining light to us. We're meant to look at them and think, that's what I want to be like. God gave them much and they were faithful with it. They invested it so well. And it's worth us reflecting. Is that us? Are we like the servants who invested so well? Are we faithfully putting what God has given us to work? Or are we like the other servant? The one who we turn to now, the one who invested poorly. Uh, the Lord entrusted him with one talent, which as we heard before is about $960,000. And did you see what he does with it? Have a look at verse 18. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. And he digs a hole in the ground and puts the, the money in it, all $960,000 into the hole in the ground. I mean, what a ridiculous thing to do. The Lord has entrusted him that money for a purpose, to invest it, to grow it, to build God's kingdom, the Lord's kingdom. And yet, instead, he stuck it in the ground. I can guarantee if you go and see a financial advisor, they will not tell you to take your money, dig a hole, and put it in the ground. It's just a bad investment. It's a bad investment to bury your money. And so, why did the servant do it then? Surely he knew that. 
It's because he wasn't a faithful servant. In fact, he was such a faithless servant that he has a completely wrong view of who the Lord is. Did you see the picture of the Lord he has? Have a look at verse 24. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. Uh, The word he uses of the Lord here is scleros, uh, which means harsh or merciless. But we know that that's not what the Lord is like at all. We know it from looking at the story. Think about it. The Lord is clearly so gracious and so generous. He gives such huge amounts of money to the servants. And he's so quick to reward them and to praise them when they do a good job. And he treats them all equally. He treats both servants who have been faithful exactly the same. There's no favoritism here. And so looking at the story, it's so clear that this picture this faithless servant has of the Lord is so incorrect. He's not merciless or harsh at all. In fact, he's the complete opposite. And the Lord knows this as well. And the Lord knows that the servant knows this. Because did you see what the Lord says to the servant? He essentially tells him, your logic doesn't stack up. In one sense, he doesn't deny that whether he's harsh, although he doesn't accept that it's true. He merely simply says, almost sarcastically, if that's the case, then why don't your actions match that? If I'm supposedly such a harsh man getting things out of nowhere, then why wouldn't you at least have put it in the bank so you could give me back interest? He says, your logic doesn't stack up. The Lord knows he's not harsh, and the servant knows that the Lord is not harsh. Rather, it's because this servant is lazy. He doesn't want to spend the time and the energy and the effort investing the money the Lord has given him. Because investing well is costly. In those days, he couldn't have taken the money and just put it in a trust fund and then sat back and watched it grow. No, investing it would have meant buying a bakery and working as a baker. It would have meant buying an apple orchard and working as a farmer. In a sense, putting the money to work meant putting himself to work. And he didn't want to do that. And in the same way, us putting our talents to work takes effort too. Investing well is costly. It takes time and emotional energy. It can have a financial cost or a relational cost. And so we need to be on guard too, that we don't slip into being like this servant, to let our laziness cause us to invest poorly. Why? Well, because of the Lord's response. Did you see how he responds to this faithless servant? He takes away the talent and he gives it to one of the others. And the lazy servant is thrown outside where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a picture, it's picture language of great distress and misery. See, for those who invest well, there'll be praise and rewards from the gracious, generous Lord. But for those who don't invest well, there'll be consequences, eternal consequences. Because the picture here is of hell and of judgment. See, Jesus is showing us it matters what we invest in. We only have one life. And so Jesus tells us, invest it well. Use what God has given you. And so as we look at the servants here, the two who invested well and the one who invested poorly, we're meant to reflect, which one am I? Am I like the first and the second servant 
who are investing what God's given me? Or am I like the third servant? Have I just buried what God's given me in the ground? But the problem is uh, when we reflect, some of us are too easy on ourselves and some of us are too hard on ourselves. Some of us who are investing well and we are the first and the second servant will be hard on ourselves and think, no, 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 I could be doing more. I'm like the third servant. And some of us who are actually like the third servant, we're barely investing what God's given us at all. We might think about ourselves and be too easy. We might say, yeah, I'm investing well. And so why not instead ask someone else who knows you well? Ask someone else who knows you well which servant they think you are and why. Why not ask them after church today? Why not ask them which servant? Do they think you are the first and second servant who are faithfully investing what God has given you? Or do they think you're the third servant who could be doing better, who could be investing more? Ask them which servant they think you are and why. And then if you want to continue investing what you've got or if you want to start investing well, then you could prayerfully reflect on the talents that God has given you. You could prayerfully reflect on what it is God has given you that you could be investing in his kingdom. And in a sense, there's countless things we could all be investing. And so uh, what I've got here is a couple of questions. It's not by any stretch a, a complete picture of everything you could be investing, but a few questions to help you at least start to think what you could be investing, what God has given you that you could be investing in his kingdom. And so the first question you could ask yourself is what do you enjoy doing? What do you enjoy doing? Because why not use that to love and to serve God? If you enjoy baking, why not use that for God's kingdom? The second question you can ask yourself is what do you see fruit, where do, what do you see fruit coming from in your life? What do you see fruit coming from in your life? Because that might show us ways that we're already serving, things that we're already doing that God is using for the building of his kingdom. And so if we see gospel fruit coming from something we're doing, why not keep investing in that area? And the third question you could ask yourself is, what do others give you positive feedback about? Because often people see things in us that we don't see in ourselves. And so I'll repeat those questions. You could ask yourself, what do you enjoy doing? What do you see fruit coming from in your life? And what do others give you positive feedback about? And by asking these questions and reflecting on your answers, hopefully it will help you to start thinking about what God's graciously given you and how you could be investing it in God's kingdom. Well, this week with our two funerals at our church, death has been on my mind. It sounds like a morbid thing to say, but death has been on my mind. I was, reflected, I was reminded of a time a few years ago. Uh, I had to rush into the emergency department at extremely short notice. I'd had a blood test taken for something else, and they'd discovered a massively high count of one particular blood, uh, blood type in my, um, in my blood. And so I rushed in and they took me up to a hospital bed and over the next two days, I had endless blood tests taken, uh, lots of x-rays and scans, uh, countless doctors prodding me in all sorts of places and asking all sorts of different questions. And it was quite an unnerving experience. Uh, in God's kindness, I'm fine and we've got it all under control. But at the time, the thought passed my mind, what if this is it? 
What if I have some inoperable sickness? What if a doctor comes in and tells me I only have a few months left to live? If that were to happen, then what would change in my life? How would that change the way I live my life? How would that change the way I invest my time and my energy and my money if I got told I only had a few months left to live? And if that were to happen to you, how would that change the way you live? Knowing that soon, very soon, you'd be standing before the Lord and you need to give account for everything that you've done in your life. You need to give account for how you've invested what he's given you. Would it change the way you use your money and your time and your energy? Because the reality is, in a sense, we're all living on borrowed time. Whether it be we have six months to live, whether it be six days, six hours, or 60 years. One day, we will stand before the Lord and have to give account for how we've invested all of the talents that he's given us. And so, if you're investing your talents well, if your life wouldn't change if you were told you had six months left to live, then praise God, keep going. And one day you'll hear the Lord say those wonderful words, well done, good and faithful servant. But if you think about it and you realize that if you were to be told you only had six months to live, and that would change everything, if that's the case, then why not realign what you're investing in? Why not change today? Why not reflect on those questions from before? Figure out some of the many talents that God's given you and start investing them. Because one day we'll all stand before our Lord and we certainly don't want to hear those dreaded words, you wicked and lazy servant. No, our time is short, but God is good and he's given us so much. And so the question then is what will you invest in? I'm going to pray and ask God to help us. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that you are so gracious, you are so generous, and you've given us so, so much. Uh, we thank you for all that you've given us, and we ask that you would continue to help us to use that well, to invest wisely with the time and the energy and the money and all of the things that you've given us. Uh, please help us to put it to use faithfully to build your kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.